Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. Amen and amen. You may be seated. For those of you who are joining online, we again, we say welcome to Refuge. We are in our tent of meeting. We just wanted to be as Old Testament as we could. So this week, a gift of a tent showed up, and we wanted to make sure that you could have a place to meet. Uh, speaking of Joy, my friend Joy, who attends Refuge here this week, a few weeks ago, told me about a podcast, or she mentioned it in a conversation I was in, and I silently bookmarked that podcast and a couple of weeks ago as I was driving through the desert home from a little bit of a getaway for Thanksgiving break I gave myself to a podcast called Dolly Parton's America if you haven't listened it will change your life it's amazing I don't know if you're a Dolly Parton fan and right now you're wondering how in the world are you connecting the dots with Dolly Parton and Jesus just you wait. But this podcast is amazing because I know of Dolly Parton. She's a bit of a legend. She's a bigger than life personality in our culture. She has sung some songs of repute and uh, she's just got this bigger than life personality, like I said, and she, she's famous. I don't know that much about her until I gave myself to this podcast and it was amazing. So I'm not just here to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you about Dolly Parton. Um, when she began, it was actually one of her uncles that caught her singing and that said to her, I think we have something here. And he's the one who helped spur the idea of Dolly. You should get on stage and sing. And a lot of people wrote her off because she's got a little bit of a different kind of voice. Um, she's got that twang. And sometimes people weren't really used to it. It was a really high twang at the time. And she blazed a lot of trails. It's amazing. But when you think about those early songs that she either wrote or co-wrote or was a part of, they go back in time and they listen and they hear her voice about telling, what was it like at the beginning? All right, so that's Dolly. Let's leave Dolly on the side stage. Enter the story of Jesus. And if I were to ask you a question, do you remember the first thing that Jesus said publicly? And we have these accounts in Scripture called the Gospels that ultimately tell some biographical information about Jesus' life and his story and his testimony and his influence. And we hear about Matthew's version and Mark's version and John's version. But there's this guy named Luke who writes a really detailed account. And when he begins the story, he tells the story about John the Baptist's birth. He tells the story about the coming birth of Jesus. He goes through a genealogy list of Jesus in about chapter 3. And when we get to chapter 4 of Luke, we get this moment where he's being tempted by the devil in the desert. And then we get his first public words. And he shows up at a synagogue. And someone hands him a scroll. And he turns to a place in the book. And it's his first public address. You think about the words of Dolly Parton or the songs of Dolly Parton. You're like, let's go back to the beginning. What happened at the beginning? And I want to say the same thing. Well, what happened with Jesus all the way at the beginning? And Jesus had the audacity to quote a book from the Old Testament named Isaiah. 
And these were the words that he quoted. He could have said anything. And he goes right to Isaiah chapter 61. So if you have a Bible, if you have your phone app, if you have something nearby that can turn you to Isaiah chapter 61, I encourage you to turn there with me. Because this is what Jesus wanted to say that day when he was in the synagogue. But not just say to the people who were gathered there that day, but also to leave this lasting impact, almost like a mic drop moment. And when he said these words and he tried to expound on them, the people hated it. So much that they drove him out of town. They actually were going to attempt to get him to a hillside and push him over. You're like, ah, sounds like some good hate speech today, right? Like people are really angry and mad when you say something. And when we think about Jesus and the truth that he brings, sometimes it's not always that well received. So here's the storyline in Isaiah chapter 61. What Jesus quotes when he is first publicly speaking to anybody has Luke records, and this is what he says. Verse 61, uh, chapter 61 of Isaiah, verse 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And that is where we will stop in today's reading. Jesus could have said anything. And when someone asks you the question, what, what is it that you liked the most that Jesus ever said? Well, like, you know, he said some good things like, you know, love your neighbor, which seems a really nice thing to say, a really hard thing to put in action. If 2020 has taught us anything, it's really hard to understand how do we love our neighbor right now. But if we consider the words of Jesus, why is it that when he started things off, he decided to quote an Old Testament passage from the prophet Isaiah, who was speaking on behalf of God to a people that had been burned, to a people that had been devastated. We get the language. You can kind of read between the lines. It doesn't take a Bible scholar to tell you what's really happening here. These people are down and out. They are left for dead. They have been ravaged. There has been an invading empire and army that has force marched them out from their homeland they don't know how to make sense of what's happening, and Isaiah is trying to bring hope. Sometimes he does, sometimes he says things that don't fully make sense, but he gives this quote on behalf of God saying, I have come to do these things. And I love the imagery that comes in this passage, and sometimes you have to look below the surface a little bit to understand really what's happening. When he says things like, I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's not just like hallmark language for a good day. The year of the Lord's favor was this old, ancient Old Testament concept that began in Leviticus chapter 25. So many of you have texted me this morning like, I have been reading Leviticus 25 and I can't wait for it to show up in a sermon. Today's the day. 
Leviticus 20, 25 is the moment where he talks about the year of the Lord's favor when God is giving them instructions on how you are to operate as a people. You are to engage in acts like Sabbath, right? At the end of a work week, after you put your six days in, there should be a Sabbath. And it's not just a place to shame people like, oh, look at you, you're working on this day. It's actually this amazing gift that God has given to his people that you should rest from work and enjoy this life that God has given. There was also this, ca- this um, concept of the Sabbath year, that every seventh year you would even give in an agrarian society where you were so dependent on the crops that would grow that on the seventh year you would rest those fields so that they could, cu- they could grow even better the next year. Because you can only sap the resources and nutrients of a field so much before it won't grow. So the idea of a Sabbath year made sense to people, but then God gave them instructions for what was called the year of the Lord, the year of the Lord's favor. Every 50 years. Just put that in concept. Some of you aren't even at 50 yet like me. You're like, I don't know, like 50 years? But every 50 years, all the wrongs would be righted if you were in bondage as a slave. And sometimes we have images of slavery that don't connect well with what is mentioned in the Bible, but there's a sense that when people were their most desperate and they were out of money, they offered themselves as a slave and a servant to someone who had more so that they could survive. But at that 50th year, all of those people were set free. Every debt that was out there was paid for or canceled. So you get this concept in your mind, like this 50th year that would come by. We have this, we have this table conversation at our, at our house um, with our kids. I, perhaps you engage in, in this activity of dreaming of what your golden year would look like. It's that moment when however old you are in the month of the year or the day of the month that you're born in. So, for instance, I was born January 31st. In case you're getting gifts, it's totally cool. Um, the thir- so when I turned 31, that would have been my golden year. So it's come and gone. I'll never have another one again. But you're like, stop crying, Brenton. No one does anything on their golden year anyway, right? So those of you who are on the really low numbers, if you're born in like one through nine, like that's a bummer because you don't have something to look forward to as you're older. So we understand this concept of years that come and go, but we could never understand the beauty and the gift of the year of the Lord's favor. But Isaiah mentions it here because he knows that there are people in bondage. He knows that there are people who aren't set free. He mentions the concept of those who are brokenhearted, those who are prisoners, those who are somehow bound up in the ways of the world. And yet he, bre- he begins to share this good news. And again, this is what Jesus quoted the first moment he, he had a public opportunity to say anything to the people. So the year of the Lord's favor. And so then he goes, I'm going to comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Life versus death and actually the word crown there can sometimes be translated as garland which makes sense at christmas time because some some of you have even put garland up there's something to denote the joy that should be found in the concept of the lord and in his kingdom and then there's this crazy phrase the oil of joy which there's been crazy christian songs over the years mentioning the oil of joy doesn't always make sense sounds a little bit cheesy like from the 80s and 90s and it is but what do we get when we hear this phrase, the oil of joy? Well, that is when the, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who would save, would come with anointing oil that's a little different. It's not just olive oil. And some would say, 
that there would even be hints of cinnamon within the oil itself because it would denote the joy that is coming forth. You would anoint something that you would hope to bring life into your community. That's why they anointed kings. That's why they anointed priests. That's why some people went so far as to even anoint their homes that they live in. And perhaps you live in a place you're like, I don't know if I want to pour oil. It's not like the pouring of oil. It's just awkward and like I got to get the soap out and like clean it up right now. But there's this moment that I'm marking this place as the territory of the Lord where I go forth from here. Where is it that I go and the joy that I want to bring with me? There's this oil of joy, this concept from the Old Testament that's coming. So instead of a place of sadness and mourning, we have hope that comes with us because of the joy of the Lord. These phrases sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release of darkness for the prisoners. That's a really hard concept for us to get because there is often a tendency, if you're like me, that if I get God right, if I understand him properly, I want him to bless me. Perhaps you've been guilty of this from time to time. You have, you have fallen victim to this idea that if I do the right things and if I pray the right prayers, God's going to bring me his blessing. But what happens when we walk through really hard years? What happens when things aren't the way they're supposed to be in our minds or in our souls? How do I make sense of these moments for those people who have been brokenhearted? This is a year of a lot of broken hearts. There are storylines that are even bigger and greater than coronavirus and what has been taken away from us or these freedoms that we think everyone's trying to impose upon. I think of a friend of mine who lost a baby just a few weeks ago, even before the baby was born. And she texted, and she's been giving me these, like she's, she's trying to ask me, how do I make sense of this? How do you find joy in those moments? How do you find joy in the midst of being so brokenhearted? And again, joy does not denote a feeling. This is a stage and a state of being within. How do I, how do I ever sense God's presence in the midst of what's happening? And I don't want to fall victim to that. And I come to you as someone who's guilty of this. I think as long as everything's great in my life, then God's good. But does that mean if everything's wrong in my life, God's not good? Well, of course not. It's not how he works. That's not how he sets things up. That's not how he put his kingdom into order. And he's inviting us to perhaps look again with the eyes of Isaiah for a world around us that is brokenhearted. And we can sit back and say, well, one day God's going to show up and he's going to make sense of that and he's going to fix it. Or perhaps we sense the calling much like Jesus who has instilled us with his spirit that we would even find the calling to say, I no longer get to go through my week with my agenda. I get to go through this week with God's eyes for the people around me who are brokenhearted. Where is it that I bring the joy of the Lord to those who are hurting? And you're like, okay, I, I get what you're saying, Brenton. There's probably a neighbor near me. I got to go find this person. But I want to tell you that they're actually right before us. I bet there are storylines in this tent. There are storylines in our community of those who are hurting and trying to make sense of it. So no longer is it an esoterical or, or an imaginary exercise for us, nor is it something for us to just say like, well, Brenton preached about it. We prayed about it. God's going to do something this week. I feel like there's an action moment for all of us. And I want to invite you into something. 
This is very tangible and very real. And the opportunity for us right now is to be a church that will share blessings. And here's how. And it's going to sound crazy. And some of you are like, dang it, don't put me on the hook on this one. But a couple of years ago, a vision for us as a community was to make sure that we weren't just going to be a church in the city of Orange, but a church for the city of Orange, right? The preposition matters. It really does. We don't want to just take up space and breathe the air of the city without having a concept of blessing for this community and even beyond. So a couple years ago, we began to have this heartbeat for foster care kids, people that were caught up within the system and the storylines that have shaped us and changed us. And there's this ministry that we have been working with and actually that has trained us as a church to even do what's called a royal family kids camp where we would take kids up to the, to the mountains and give them a week of just being a kid because some of them have storylines that aren't like the kids and grandkids in our lives because they have been beaten and abused, whether physically or mentally and emotionally, sometimes even worse. And they're trying to find and make sense of it. I was on a Zoom class the other day that I was teaching. I was interacting with someone who's well into her 40s. She's changing careers from law enforcement because she wants to be a missionary to India. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like, how in the world do you get that call? And she says to me, she's like, well, I grew up in um, foster care. And she's like, Brenton, I want to be really honest with you. It was the Christian homes that were the worst homes. Because they put this air of we got it all together publicly but the pain that would happen within the homes was terrible. So us as a community, we can no longer just have like this concept of like we want to care for foster cares, get kids from a distance. We want to get our hands dirty in the midst of what's happening in our world around us. And so we do this thing called Royal Family Kids Camp. Some of you have served. Some of you have volunteered. Some of you have given resources in one way or another to bless kids. Last year in 2019, we had our first camp. It was amazing. It was simply amazing. 21 kids came up the mountain and had a week in God's cathedral of the outdoors to experience him. And we thought, oh, we cannot wait for 2020. That camp is going to be amazing. And then 2020. And that year is not so amazing because it looks differently. And we didn't get to take those kids up the mountain. It's been really hard to engage them and future kids and other kids. We're even trying to pray and put prayer for next year, next summer. Can we take kids up the mountain and give them an experience that would showcase and show forth God's beauty and his blessing and his goodness? Right now, we're just trying to, like, okay, what can we do? Here's what we can do. I'm going to put it before you, and I, I want to I invite you to do something with me. Next Sunday, for an hour after church, we have invited all of those families to come to a drive-by Christmas moment. Because that's what we can do right now. It's a drive-by. It doesn't make sense. We, we, we're inviting them to church if they want to come to church, but literally right outside here, we're going to have cars and families of foster families and kids come through, and we're going to give them gifts. And we're going to showcase God's love from a safe distance and what we can do right now. And so here's where I want to challenge us as a community, even those of you who are online, like how can I possibly participate in this? We want to bless them. We want to just really do this well. We want to have cards with their names on it as they come through because the name that we have been given matters. And when we speak it and we put it on a, on a postcard or something, it gives us meaning and identity and value. 
We also want to give gifts because this is the season to give gifts and to remind kids of all ages that God is a God who is generous and lavishes gifts upon us. So how can you help? My friend Yuli, who is leading our worship team this morning, she's been contacting all these families. We are generating a list, and we have ages and genders of all the kids that will come through next week. And so if you are interested in being one of our sponsor families or sponsor people this week, we'll give you that name, that gender, and we want you to go buy a gift that will just amaze that kid. Not like chapstick, like something amazing, like a remote control car or something that would just be so dang amazing and remind people that when they drive by a church, there's good news to be found there. But I also would love to say, if you're not interested in buying a gift, will you stick around and be a part of the cheering crowd outside? And so perhaps for an extra hour tomorrow, or next week, will you stick around with us and let us showcase Isaiah 61 in action, where we remind people that have been brokenhearted, that are disenfranchised, that are pushed to the side, that sometimes don't know if they fit within the system of the world, we remind them that they fit within the system of the kingdom, because they matter. So that's how we put six, uh, Isaiah 61 into action this week. I know you've got all kinds of things planned and you're trying to prepare for the next couple of weeks what it will look like. But when we get ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus, let's reframe and tell the story yet again that God brings good news. And he can even do it for some foster care kids. There's more details to share, but I would just love to put it out there and say, hey, will you hang out for an extra hour next week? Will you even go get a gift that will just amaze a kid? And will we bring the joy of Christmas, the joy of Jesus, to bear for some kids who need it desperately? That's the challenge. The only people that get out of this one is Sal and Caitlin because they're getting married. All right? The rest of us, let's be an example of God's kingdom. Let's be his hands and feet next week as we call and cheer the names of these kids because they matter to God. I want them to matter to us. And let us remind our community that kids sometimes forgotten still matter to the king. All right? Let's pray. I think our worship team's going to lead us in one more song this morning. Jesus, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for this tent of meeting that we have. Thank you for those who are in person and online. Thank you for this season that properly shapes us and frames us with the posture that we cannot wait for you to come yet again. We are grateful for what you did a couple thousand years ago, but this year, would you yet again show us that your presence hasn't left this place, that you're not done with us, that you're not done shaping us and challenging us, and our opportunity to bring joy to others this week can look very specific, but may we have a posture of joy a state of being of joy that shares good news with people all over this world. Wherever it is that you are taking us this week, God, may we have eyes to see and ears to hear what you're up to. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.